the Weekend Variety Wireless with Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill on Radio Live. Good evening, this is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. It's Sunday night. Lots to talk about this evening. We kick it off by waving the media stick very shortly. Tamar Monk is in. Wow, that breaking story about needles and strawberries. That's not ideal. Skeptical thoughts with Susie Wiles. She will come into the studio after nine. Tonight, talking about the wellness medicine industry and the rise in advertising from that sector. Psychics. Should they really be chasing the family of missing people and providing them with gruesome details? I'm not sure that that sits well with me. We will discuss after nine o'clock with Susie Wiles. Catch up with Graham Grant, the COO of Sequent. You'll never have heard of Sequent. I certainly hadn't, but we'll find out what they do. They've just won an award. They're a global leader in the development of visual data science software used for underground. It's a fascinating story, and we'll get that at around 9.40 this evening. John Dibvig is in after 10 o'clock. He'll be fired up, as always, about Donald Trump and all things USA. And artist Penny Howard, also in the studio after 10 to discuss her upcoming exhibition at the White Space Contemporary Art Gallery in Auckland. And after 11, we will reminisce The Rose Noel, a shipwreck tale from 1987. This is the Weekend Variety Wireless. Media Stick up next. Curiosity not only killed the cat, it spawned a whole radio show. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill on Radio Live. I have a lot of fight left in me. I'm not breaking down. The New Zealand Herald published a smear by TV blogger Paul Casserly. The blogger is obviously emotionally disturbed. We will never feel safe again. Tamar Monk, good evening. Good evening. Look, the strawberry story is breaking at the moment. How how did we let this happen? I don't know. I mean, I was pretty shocked just hearing about it on on the other side of the Tasman, you know. Mm. And then they obviously found this young teenager who um, in Australia who had, um, I guess, confessed or or was found out. And then they, there was this this um, I heard one of the the police interviewed actually on on radio earlier in the week and and they basically they weren't charging the kid but they'd obviously let him off with a very stern warning and they were very clear about making um, it known that the punishment forward food tampering is 10 years imprisonment in Australia and that there's actually discussions about increasing that to 15 years. So, Mm. you know, they were kind of like, look, this is a young kid. We haven't put him, we're not throwing him into the clink just yet. But I think the fact that it's now hit New Zealand shores puts it into a different light. And I mean, you know, the one thing that 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 has coming as a warning is around chop your strawberries up. Okay, that's fine. But how long do you have to do that for? Mm. Um, and it, you know, look, I understand it's all very well to say that the New Zealand strawberry season is going to come up 
and so we won't be importing Australian strawberries. And I, you know, one of yes. the um, local chains, they haven't even they actually stopped bringing in Australian strawberries last year week. I think that was foodstuffs. Yeah, so foodstuffs stopped it, and that's all all good and well. Progressives did not stop it, and it and it's been discovered from a, a punnet bought at Countdown. Yeah, but we were. I mean, I don't know the answer to this question because I haven't researched it. So let me put that caveat out there. Yeah. But where was the Ministry of Primary Industries last week when a needle was found in a batch of Australian strawberries coming out and saying, right, recall and a stop of all strawberries coming from Australia or until scan, this is you know, More scanning or whatever needs some additional precautions exactly. to be put in place so that this didn't happen. Look, maybe this is a copycat situation, and that's the thing. It's all very well to say that the New Zealand season's coming up and so we're not going to bring in Australian ones. What if some idiot takes it upon themselves to do the same here? You don't know, mm. you know. And so that precautionary measure about chopping up your fruit is look. It seems a bloody shame to be honest, because mm. isn't there something quite lovely about biting into a strawberry when it's still got the stalk and everything else? It's very, it's a very summer kind of experience. Oh, when I was younger, and we would go to the Hawks Bay. Uh, I've been to pick your own. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Well, and, don't and the, you think those pick their owns are going to do remarkably well this, this summer? This summer, yeah. Aren't they? In I mean, fact, there you go, strawberry farmers. There's a little business tip. You'll be going off. I mean, yeah, anybody that's own. able to pick their own fruit, they're going to be going out there purely from, from the just for peace of mind. And the peace of mind for the consumer um, and, and just when you touched on the punishment, it, it reminds me of the Fonterra scare with the baby formula where there was that threat from that gentleman and, yeah. and he was did – he, did he just get home detention? I, I can't remember. Uh, but really, New Zealand's agriculture industry is huge. It's massive. It's mm. billions and billions of dollars. We certainly don't want to get to the point where certain parts of our farmland – when you drive past, have got six-foot-high fences and barbed wire mm. just to keep people out mm. because we've seen a lot of avocado crime mm -hmm. uh, recently in the last six to 12 months. There's a lot of money at $3 an avocado, Yeah, a uh, hundred of those. Yeah. That, that's, you know, 300 bucks. That's yeah. easy money for a lot of people in, in, in a black market trade. And, I mean, the trouble is, is that with agriculture, there's enough that goes wrong anyway. You know, mm. there's weather, there's pest, pests that, that are unwanted that are not able to be controlled. There's random, you know, like micro, mycoplasma bovis, bovis yes. that kind of thing that comes along and affects stock, whether it's animal stock or whether it's plant stock. That's, you know, those issues are big enough for that sector. We don't need these idiots coming along and creating more drama. Mm. I think that's the that's the problem. I mean, I saw a heartbreaking video. Actually, it was shared on Facebook um, from an Australian woman who was saying, "This is my parents' strawberry farm," and it was a truck just dumping tons of you know I don't know mm. how many uh, kilos of strawberries, but but a dump truck load just being thrown out now. That is that's livelihood. That's mm. a business literally going down the drain or going into a into a hole in the ground mm. um, because of this scare. It's imagine quite the, frightening. Imagine the birds at that dump. They'd be loving oh, it. They'd be loving it. Yeah, the exactly. would be absolutely. Yeah. So a developing story, and, and no doubt if it, it continues to to blow up, uh, it may be a topic of discussion for next week's mm. media stick. Let's get on to the topics tonight from the week that has been. And we'll start with Kim Hill. She, well, she gave Ron Mark a bit of a grilling. Yeah, she did. 
poor old Ron Mark. So Kim, Kim's been filling in on Morning Report um, this week, I think, with Guy on Away. And um, Ron Mark was, was on the show talking about um, the country not pulling... The, the, um, the army's basically staying in, um, in Iraq. Mm. And he Kim was trying to get him to concede a point. Mm. Well, the backstory in the first six minutes of the interview was when the government took over, there was a commitment up until November of this year. That's right. To, to have troops situated in Iraq for training purposes. Yeah. And, and essentially they're not there as combat troops. They no. are there to, to assist those on the ground with... Training, additional skills, that kind of thing. So That's right. it's a it's it's not throwing people into combat, but it is still a presence in a country of some unrest. And the coalition government, I've got the, the terminology right. That's go. what they want to be called. <laughs> the coalition government have extended from November this year to June next year. And when in opposition, all three of these parties were fairly vocal in their opposition to extending this. Let's uh, hear the snippet of Kim Hill with Ron Mark. And so the national government was right after all. The national government wasn't wrong in its decision. That it no, please, don't, it's not going to stick in your throat that much. The national government was right after all to send our men there and women. Brought, national government could have worked in an MMP parliament across party lines and done more to improve the understanding of all parties in the House and garnered the one thing that I'm determined to do a high level of consensus across Parliament, across all parties, when it comes to matters of deploying our men and women into theatres of war. That's where they failed massively, and they still show no signs of understanding that need. So you just can't bear to say that the national government was right to give us a presence in Iraq? Well, I think at the end of the day... Come on, say it. Go on. They didn't Go on. Well. We made our judgment decisions then. Right now, I'm happy to say that they made the right decision, and we support that as of now. And it would be irresponsible for this nation to ignore, or for this government, to ignore the gains that the Iraqi people have made and the sacrifices that they have suffered, and extending out to um, next year, to 1919, 2019, sorry, is the appropriate thing to do right now. Go on, oh, go on. I just love that on. she didn't go in there all guns blazing. Do you know what I mean? Mm. She could have gone quite hard on him, which a lot of other interviewers might might have. She actually was kind of giving him a good jibe. Yeah. She was taking him on with some humour, which I think that was the bit that I really liked. I actually was chuckling away to myself listening to it in the car. And it, it, it's kind of like sport. She's just going, go on. Go on. Admit it. Say it. Admit it. Say it. But in what makes Kim a fantastic broadcaster, and it's lovely to analyse her because she's so good, is she asks a hard question. She she sort of interrupted at the start there to keep pushing it, but then she sat back and yep. she listened and she gave Ron a good minute. And, and what she's doing there is she's allowing him time to answer, but she's also allowing him to trip himself up. Yeah. She's giving uh, her interview subject time. Look, you talk. I'm giving it to you. I'll give you all the time in the world to explain because you can explain a way out of trouble, but you can also explain your way into trouble. That's exactly and, right. And after a, uh, a minute... She's finally got him to say, because he's got nothing else to say. Yeah. 
he's that the national government were right. Yeah. Uh, and his, you know, perhaps his point that now they're in government is a good one because it doesn't. Everyone in opposition, when it comes to war, seems to have an opinion. But when they're actually in power, yeah, and they're privy to the information, and they actually have to cozy up and make these decisions. And that. he talks about that that how he's actually been over there in recent times, and he's seen the work that they're doing on the ground, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. And I think you know that is the difference of being in government is that you are closer to the action that is causing those decisions to be made. And and in a case like that, it, you know, look, maybe it's remiss to pull out pull pull out those troops early and, and, and perhaps it is the right decision, but it's that lack of concession, which I just think is uh, Go know, on. Say it. Say it. Go on. I know. It's like she's watching a football match. It is, it's great. And uh, yeah, I, I look I had a good old chuckle to myself. I think it's um it's uh, I, you know <laughs> It's nice to be able to call politicians out when they're just playing that political card and, you know, giving the talking points that their press secretary will have told them and repeating that and repeating that and repeating that. And she's obviously just trying to kind of and, get and a bit of spontaneity. Him, and good on him for saying it. Um, you know, I think back to when the previous government were denying the housing crisis, for example, mm. and there was some obvious statistics that had come to light. And they just deny, deny, deny. But, I mean, the bloke was in between a rock and a hard place oh, yeah. and, and he just came out with it. And that op, that 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 finishes it right there and then. Yep. He said it, it's done, we can move on. And, you know, look, I get it. We're in a p- – politics these days is a very partisan thing. And probably what he knows is that if he is – if he's if he says first up, yes, the National Party's right, it's going to be a headline somewhere. Mm. Right? I mean, that's – that that's creating more of a story. So I get why he doesn't want to concede that point. Mm. But, um, yeah, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. Yeah, but I wonder if it had been Winston whether we would have had the same outcome. That's exactly right. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, the Emmys featured an on-stage proposal this year. Glenn, Glenn Weiss? Glenn Weiss? Yeah, Glenn Weiss, I think it is. Who um, is he? He is a director. So he actually won this for directing the Oscars. So he's one of those, um, you know... Uh, like a TV director. A TV director directing the Oscars show. So that's sure. what he won the the award for. And he got up on stage and he was midway through his um, speech and he's talking about how much he is grateful to his wonderful partner and he says, I don't want to call you my girlfriend anymore because I want to call you my wife. And then he proposes to her. Have you got I've this got clip? I've got yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll do yeah. better justice it's, it's to beautiful. it than I can. Mom always believed in finding the sunshine in things, and she adored my girlfriend, Jan. Jan, you are the sunshine in my life. And Mom was right, don't ever let go of your sunshine. You wonder why I don't like to call you my girlfriend? Because I want to call you my wife. I didn't ask yet. I didn't ask yet. Hamish, I'm going to be a moment. This is the ring that my dad put on my mom's finger 65, 67 years ago. And to my sisters and brothers, I didn't swipe it. Dad knows I have it, okay? (laughs) 
Jan, I want to put this ring that my mom wore on your finger in front of all these people and in front of my mom and your parents watching from above. Will you marry me? Thank you to the Academy. Thank you, everybody. Wow. So uh, that was, by and large, just, you know, everybody considered that to be the highlight of the awards ceremony. Mm. Of course, there were some wins along the way, Game of Thrones, and, you know, some. there were some big wins for, for TV shows and TV actors and everything. And there was some, yeah, it was a good show. That was all very nice. But that was... The reviewers and the commentators and Twitter and everybody said, oh, that was just... Glenn Weiss stole the show. Stole the show. Now, subsequent to that, and I only came across this today, actually, um, this was in page six, which is a gossip column of the New York Post. So we just have to put it into perspective that it's a tabloid gossip column that this has come from. However... Kind of like the Herald. Yeah, kind of like the spy pages (laughs) in the Herald. It is, exactly. It is, it is. So... Glenn Weiss. Now, let's remember, he won this for directing an award ceremony, Mm. right? This is a quote from him in this page six column. I kept it running in my head and timing it with a watch. So this is in regard to his speech, his acceptance speech. Basically, he perfectly timed it so he wouldn't get played off during that big moment because he, of course, is the guy that sets the time to make, you know, 45 seconds for your speech, et cetera, et cetera. So he actually had rehearsed it and he, and he trimmed stuff out. He, uh, this is, he'd rehearsed this whole delivery because he knows exactly the amount of time that, exactly. Before that they he would just gives cut him. to recipients. And so he's thinking, God, don't play me off. This is all quotes from him. And as the night's going, I'm watching other people speak and he's thinking, okay, how much are they enforcing this timing? How much are they playing people off, well, he right? He says that, that that moment, he says, Hamish, I'm going to need a moment. Exactly. He's speaking he's to the director. He's actually speaking to the director. That's yeah. exactly right. And, and so he actually cut some additional words out in the middle of that proposal. He was trimming on the fly just so that he, he was <laughs> buying himself time as he got there. But because it was such a highlight moment, of course the director's not going to play him off in the middle of a bloody proposal. He's not – I mean, and so he was absolutely playing it for the emotion. He knew exactly what he was doing. And so – you know, he got this big reaction. He and he not he he talks about it. What blew my mind here was the reaction from the room, um, and he's thinking they're going to play me out. No one's going to want me to be doing this because, of course, who is he? Nobody knows who he is. It's not a fa- he's not a famous actor. No, or anything. I'd never heard of him. Exactly, and he's also winning for a pretty minor league award. It's not like it's one of the big awards of the night. Mm. It was, you know. Um, and so he's sort of, you know, doubting himself as he goes and he couldn't even finish what he planned. This is, um, what he's saying because everyone was on their feet yelling and screaming, which was great. I'm so happy it all went that way. Um, so he said his grandiose plan to propose to to Swenson, who's his, this now his fiance, wasn't contingent on, on him winning the Emmy. He planned to pop the question no matter what, obviously on the night. There was no plan B. Our life is plan A. And then whatever happened, it was going to happen, and it, so it happened on stage. Also, second story, also from page six, we should qualify, is, well, th- this is also... So they've interviewed him and got his side and his... Correct. Take, that, lovely. And then in their gossip column way, 
they've gone out and spoken to some other people. Oh. And this is um, a subsequent story. So while TV audiences seem enthralled with Glenn Weiss's on air proposal to his longtime girlfriend, Broadway types were less than thrilled by the dis- display. One theatre pro has confessed this to page six. Glenn has produced and directors, directed the Tonys, which is the um, theatre, you know, the Broadway awards, the, right. the, the stage awards. Yep. So the, you know, you've got your Emmys, you've got your Oscars, you've got your Tonys, you've got your Grammys. Those are the big four. And so he's also done the Tonys as well as the Oscars. And he is known as an unforgiving stickler when it comes to keeping acceptance speeches to the allotted 45 minutes. So he was basically on that show breaking the rules that he sets himself and that he is notorious. 45 seconds per acceptance speech? Apparently. And he's directed 18 Tony's telecasts, um, but he's... He says one of this this person that's spoken to the gossip column uh, anonymously, I should say, has said every year Glenn gives this pompous speech to all the nominees, lecturing everyone about how the clock starts the second your name is called, and that going long is unfair to your fellow nominees because it eats time for everyone whose categories come later in the evening. And they've gone on to say, leave it to him to completely flout his own rule in order to grab as much attention as humanly possible for him and his girlfriend. Oh, my God. Is that guy having a bad day or what? So, and they've timed it. So his speech, including the proposal, clocked in at just under three minutes, which is pretty much double the allotted time. So for every happy moment, there is some bloody Grinch who's going to bitch about it. Are you serious? Bitching about how many seconds it took him to propose? Give the guy a break. And look, it was... He knows how to put on a show, right? And yeah. he know he he didn't know he was going to win. Mm. That stuff is kept strictly under wraps. He took the chance, stood up on stage, proposed to the girlfriend. It was a highlight of the show. Let him have it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The gossip column. I know. Oh, goodness me, the poor bugger. Right, 8.31 on Radio Live, a break, and we wave the media stick again. Ryan Bradley and Tamar Monk. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill. Last week, Tamar, I uh, waved the media stick by myself. Yeah, you poor thing. And I know you listened because, <laughs> you know, you, you, you enjoy the show. Love um, it. I, I waved it at Heather Duplessis Allen oh. for her treatment of the, our Pacific Island uh, friends. Yes. I was, I was pretty disgusted by it myself. Yeah. But then for her to come out again and defend it and yeah. say, oh, I wasn't talking about the people, I was talking about the politicians and the government. Well, you know, when you make a mistake, you really should put your hand up and apologise and move on. But mm. she stuck in the mud on that particular issue. Yeah, she admitted herself. She she said, I've dub- I'll, I will double down. I will down. double down on you. I will double down yeah. on you. Where you go. Where yeah. you go, Heather. And this week... ZB, God, they throw up some absolute beauties or shockers, whichever way you look at it. Well, so, funnily enough, actually, somebody and I can't, I can't think who needs to be credited for this, but said that was um, Heather Duplessis Allen's audition for Layton's role. That 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 particular commentary that she gave was like her oh, auditioning for, to be Layton. Now it all fits, doesn't it? Yeah, and then he absolutely trumped himself as the king of conservative talk back this week. Tell us. Well, so this was on um, suff- it was on Wednesday, which of course was our 125th anniversary of suffrage for 
uh, in throughout New Zealand and lots of media did lots of fantastic coverage. Um, you know, the Herald had their their special edition. There was a lot, There's you know, there's been a, a heap of stuff out there. There's been a whole bunch of New Zealand On Air funded projects that have, have been produced through Stuff and the Herald and um, RNZ and all, all over the place. Mm. So it feels like it's an achievement that should be celebrated. You yep. know, pretty yep. much everybody was, was in agreement on that, that what a great moment for New Zealand to be first in the world at, at giving women the vote and isn't it an achievement and... You know, yes, we're admitting that we've got a little bit of a way to go around equal pay and, you know, all of those discussions were being had. And then Leighton gets on his radio show and just decides to go a little bit rogue, I guess. Okay, I'll set the scene. He's opened the New Zealand Herald and he's commenting on all the different articles it's about half, the first half of the Herald was all around. Yeah, the, the, there was a big rap exactly. of of you know 125 women who have d- who have done fabulous things. Mm. It was guest edited by Jacinda Dern. So here he is. He's going through the Herald, and and these are his thoughts. Uh, going through the paper, uh, today's special edition of the Herald is guest edited by Jacinda Dern and celebrates the anniversary of women winning the right to vote on September 19, 1893. Can I just put insert here for a moment? I asked a couple of um, women this morning, when did men in New Zealand get the vote? No one had a clue. Didn't all happen at once either. But no one had a clue. Just just asking, that's all. Um Turn the page, you get women's suffrage, 125 years of speaking up. Now, this is not to knock what the story is, if you want. But I received a number of emails, 827, 733, and there's more on the, uh, more on the printer, with regard to uh, to some of this, with a, shall we say slightly different perspective, why why is the need? Can I can I ask this question quite genuinely? What's the need for 125 years, a century and a quarter? Because in a way, there's a bit of a war on, and I think it's an artificial war, in the main. I. If I said what I was about to say, I, I'd get ripped. But I'll say it anyway. I love women. But I only love women who I like, that I that I think are terrific women, because there are plenty of women who aren't in that category. But there are plenty of men as well. I don't like bitches and I don't like bastards, if I can if I can be patently honest. But I... I love being around women. We've had two female CEOs in this in this building. Um, both of them I got on with extremely well. Both of them I really liked. Both of them I was really sad when they went. I'd like to think that if you did a wander through here and asked uh, the people that I, the women that I that work in the same department that I do on this radio station and maybe a few others, whether whether I was a good bloke to work with. I'd like to think they all said yes. Wow. How to make a national celebration of of a historical achievement about you 
and your weirdness. I mean, I don't know if you know there's that emoji and it's got it sort of the top of its head is slightly blowing off. I, I had that moment. Like my head just kind of exploded listening to that. It just, what? What? I love women, but I only like the ones who I like. I don't I think, like bitches. I think what he was what? going down the road of, which he didn't want to say because he knew he'd get it. He knew that he was going to cop it. I mean, he he's going to cop it anyway because what he was saying was bloody nonsense. But is that there's that there's a war going on between men and women? I think that's what he was going yep. to say. That's my. I'm hazarding a guess. Going deep into Leighton Smith's mind, which is terrifying. And that's my my guess. But he kind of then decided to save himself by singling out women that he likes. He also, in that same rant, talks about the fact... So in, in going through that paper, he talks about the fact that the, the Prime Minister has been a guest editor. And then he says Mariana Alexander, who's one of the editors at the Herald, has actually done all all the work and he's kind of giving a backhanded compliment to her mm. and talks about how she's she's one of the good women because when he was going to go and compliment her he wanted to go and put his hand on his on her back but he took his hand away because he didn't want to offend her and she said oh that would have been okay and he says she's one of the good ones because she's okay it's just bizarre i mean i know it's a because very old she's school. okay with 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 somebody, someone being a creep and, and touching and them in the workplace. I, I mean, it's weird. A, it's. Oh, I just don't know why it needs to be. Why about did he his... choose? Yeah, why did he choose that particular day? But I want to start where he started with the point he made about when did men get the vote? Here we are celebrating 125 years of women's suffrage, yeah. the first country in, in the world to do it, and yeah. we're proud of it. Clearly, yeah. we celebrated like we're proud. And here's some chauvinist sitting there at nine o'clock in the morning asking, yeah, but when did men do it? Yeah. Well, it wasn't. Well, the men had the vote in 1893. They controlled it all. Yeah. We're here to celebrate the fact that women and Kate Shepard and and many other great women fought for the vote. Yeah. 25,000 women signed the petition and all the rest of it. Like, there's all of that fabulous history. Acknowledge it. Don't undermine it. It's just, yeah. It's all the we, we seem to be having all these weeks at the moment. We had um, Te Reo Māori mm. week the week before, mm. a, and then and with Leighton's example here, I'm every celebration we have in New Zealand shows our good side, but also uncovers our dirty underbelly mm-hmm. of opinion and thought, mm-hmm. and and the people that uh, that didn't like Māori Language Week forget that we are where we are today or in the 70s with, with very few people speaking Māori because of things like the Native Schools Act in yeah. 1867, yeah. the Tōhunga Suppression Act. Our history needs to be analysed to see where we are today. Yeah. And we need to celebrate how far we've come. But to come up with a rant like that oh. on that particular day, I, I don't... And, and who prints their emails? What kind of I idiot prints his too. email? But see, prints them... He, Leighton, they're on your computer, buddy. That's I the nature. He's e- probably got a screen. Email. Email. <laughs> e- not print mail. Email. Yeah. Bless. So he loves wasting trees too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, climate change isn't real according to Leighton. So, um, of course not. So print, print away. 
Oh, yeah. Print that, away. Very odd there, that certain introduction. You're so right about Heather Duplessy Allen. She wants that job because she's got his spot in Wellington. I can't remember who said it. I can't take the credit for it, but I thought that that was, it was a very astute observation. She, I'm sure that's her time spot it is. in Wellington. It is, yeah, 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 yeah. So she's she's that same segment. So those in Wellington wouldn't wouldn't hear later and they hear Heather instead. But so obviously he's got the, the, the slightly more, um, he's in more markets. Than, I think than New Zealanders have to remember that this is shock jock stuff that is designed to get the audience to engage, to get callers to call up their radio station yep. and continue a program throughout the morning. The Most of the hosts that are on that do talk back open up with their opinion or they, they set the scene for one or two stories mm-hmm. to get nibbles at. Mm-hmm. And if those ones don't really go off, they bring another couple in. They've got sort of five, six, maybe seven stories up their sleeve for their shift yep. and they slowly bring them out. And so this sort of bravado and talk, they're taking an opinion because they almost want you to ring up and disagree. It's a it's a bait situation. Exactly. It's just reeling them in. You know, that's that's what they that's what it's all about is is and and dropping a bomb and seeing who picks it up. And that's fine. And that's the so model. So I'm, I'm picking it up. That's the model they work with. But for me, if I hear that and I'm driving in the car, if I hear that and I disagree with it, I'm off. Yeah. My button's on the next station. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, whoever it is, whether it's Leighton Smith or, or any host on any station, if I think they make a, a grotesque comment that I think is so ridiculous, um, you know, the one that I hate is, oh, they need to, those, those young kids need to stop buying coffees to f- afford houses. <laughs> what? That's ridiculous. Anyone that comes up with that opinion, I just, uh, you know, I don't know how many coffees it would take to buy a, to buy a house yeah, in Auckland. Correct. Yeah, it's not going to help you, you know. <laughs> that, that, that just annoys me. I'm just like, nah, you're off. Yeah. Um, but they obviously, it obviously works. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, look, I, it was more for me, yes, there was the sort of chauvinist attitude stuff, but it was more that he kind of just got down to, nonsense and drivel by the end of it. He actually, it was really unimportant commentary about who he likes and who he doesn't like. I love women, but I only like the ones I like. And then at the end, the whole, the positions of power, I like my CEOs because obviously Mm. they were in positions of power and he worked for them. So he had to look up to them. Mm. I would have, it would have balanced it if he'd said to me, I liked the CEO and I really love this cleaner that we had um, that was always there, at, or or someone that yeah. would be in, in a position perhaps below where where you know his position would have been in the company. Yeah, you know, I once had a we had a fantastic receptionist who I thought was was brilliant. Yeah, but no, no, he had to just only the only the ones that are above him in the pecking order was he prepared to ah that's enough that's enough the spin off. I really like this guy, Hayden Donnell. Yeah. He, he uh, is on spinoff, what do they call it, spinoff TV? Yeah, spinoff TV. And, and he's, he's got quite a laconic kind of... He's um, very quirky. Yeah, yeah. And, and this was a piece, um, he's done some quite good investigations actually for spinoff TV, but also he's a great writer too, so he's done some good stuff for, for the spinoff website. But this one was... It caught my eye because, funnily enough, it was something that I myself had observed over the past few weeks. When you and it, I, I think it was on um, one of the news sites, and they they um, live stream the prime minister's 
weekly press conference. Oh, yeah, Mondays, isn't it? Yeah. After the cabinet and I, meeting. And so it would have been Herald or one of those that live streams, here's, here's the weekly press conference with the Prime Minister, and it comes up as an alert on your Facebook that this is happening. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I was on Facebook at the time, and it, it appeared in my feed. And what I saw as I was watching the video was these comments appearing through the feed, and most of them were relating to 1080 as opposed to anything that was actually being spoken about. And I thought, 1080 Poison. 1080 Poison. So ban it was a ban, t- ban 1080 were pretty much the, the, the gist of the comments that were going through. There wasn't anybody really commenting. To be fair, there probably weren't that many people watching. But there wasn't anybody really commenting about the actual content of whatever it was the Prime Minister was saying. It wasn't uh, – this was – let's say, two or three weeks ago. So it had I nothing to do with 1080? Nothing to do with 1080. But, but they was, were all on there. But they were all on there commenting. Right. And, I, and so I'd observed this. And, and so then there's the spin-off piece where Hayden Donnell went in to investigate what is the cause of, of this recent, uh, let's call it a scourge, mm. of, of 1080 activists using this digital media and and basically commenting on unrelated posts to get their message across. So I it caught my eye because I was like I saw this a couple of times over the recent time, and so I read the story. You you've got a bit of audio for it, don't you? Yeah. Here we go. A few weeks ago, I noticed something weird happening on the internet. The live Facebook videos of all our major news organisations were being hijacked. It didn't matter what the videos were about, Jacinda Ardern or parking regulations. The comment sections were always just one message, repeated over and over. Ban 1080. I traced the spam campaign back to a Facebook group. Operation Ban 1080. And that's when things started going crazy. My inbox was filled with messages from anti-1080 people. There was a million of them and they were super intense. But it wasn't just me getting accosted. The anti-1080 brigade was huge and growing. They were spreading across the internet and out into the real world. There was even a hikoi to parliament. I wanted to find out what was behind it. So I came here, to Nelson, to see one of the leading anti-1080 campaigners, Sue Gray. Gray made headlines earlier this week when she won a temporary court injunction against a 1080 drop in the Hanua Ranges. And there's a lot of people now that are really passionate and they're on social media uh, uh, spamming news pages. Do you take some responsibility for that yourself? I I don't think it's me. I think it's an issue that day has come. I ask because a lot of people will point back to a seminar that you gave. Yeah, make more noise and create more trouble, I think, was the quote. We've got to be more noisy and cause more trouble. This seminar wasn't just for clients. That was, you were giving tactics to prominent 1080, anti-1080 people. I was asked to share my views, and I've done that on other issues as well. um, Electromagnetic radiation, which is a class 2B carcinogen, um, fluoride, there's a range of issues, but any issue that affects the democratic rights of New Zealanders. Busted. Mm. Absolutely busted. Yeah. Um, That's a strategy clearly employed, and Hayden Donnell's exposed them there. Yeah. They're going after uh, mainstream media to make a noise. Yeah. And look, this is the nature of activism, right? Is that 
whether it's animal rights protesters breaking, you know, breaking into factory farms or throwing red paint over people wearing fur or whether it's anti-nuclear protesters back in the 70s going, you know, selling their yachts into the French nuclear testing zones. This is the nature of activism is that it does disrupt. It mm. does cause a stir. So wherever you are on the on the debate of the 1080 issue, what I think has what struck me about that piece is that They've set out to raise the issue back into the public consciousness and and their strategy is working. Because mm, we're having a conversation Here about it. Here we are. Here we are. And and if you actually go through media in recent weeks, I mean, I, 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 I saw this morning Media Watch on Radio New Zealand have covered the same issue with a 20-minute, 22-minute piece, something like that. And, and covering a lot of the 1080, the 1080 stories that have run throughout the week. This is something that has come very strongly. I mean, it's always been in and out of the news, but it does feel like there's been a real sort of flood of it in, in the last few months. And this is obviously part of the reason. I think mm. we can't deny that, you know. We know that the social media has a strong role to play in changing the way people think or bringing issues to light, whether it's for good or for bad, you know, and you've got Russian hackers influencing US elections and all the rest of it. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that social media can be used and and digital media can be used to influence the way people think. Now, I don't know that going in there saying ban 1080 on all of the live Facebook feeds of all of the major news organisations is going to change opinions. Mm. But it is going to raise the issue. You get to the point where you start to piss people off with this ambush style. Uh, Ban 1080, look, I don't know enough about it, Tamar. I just trust the scientists because it's not an issue that personally for me I've researched same. or I've had much to do with. I have to, to confess with. the same. Um, and, and therefore what I see on Facebook, yes, it's a poison. I get that. Mm-hmm. But I, from the reasoning behind it, as far as I was aware, was that it was – the best option of of in a, in a worse situation. So you either get the native birds that die because of these rodents uh, or you use 1080. Yes, there there is a poison element to it, but the uh, the outcomes are better than if we didn't use it. And, mm. and, I, and I don't know much more about it than that. Yeah. But in analysing what they're doing to the media and this ambush style, they're going to continue to get a lot more conversations about it if they if they do that. Yeah. I agree. Tamar, thank you very much for coming on this week. Appreciate your time and looking forward to hearing you in two weeks' time. Awesome. You're listening to the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Life. Uh, Weekend Variety Wireless. Nice to have your company tonight and thank you for sending through your feedback too. A couple of texts on the line in regards to the issues that we have discussed. Yeah, look. Some interesting opinions there in regards to some of the the hosts on opposition radio stations, and I won't be uh, reading those out for you all to listen. Uh, but thanks for sending them in all the same. I'll have a chuckle, uh, but I can't read them out for everybody else too. A couple of minutes to the top of the hour at nine o'clock, and Aroha Hathaway standing by for the latest in news and sport from News Hub. After nine... Susie Wiles has just entered the building and Skeptical Thoughts will be with us. We'll go feature length. We'll go long between 9 and 10. We'll go Skeptical Thoughts and then we'll catch up with 
Graham Grant, who joins us to discuss Sequent, a global business that specialises in visual data science software and collaborative technologies. They are a growing country uh, company based in Christchurch, 280-odd staff, so looking forward to catching up just to see what they're all about. John Dibvig, he will get stuck into Donald Trump after 10 o'clock. Look, it's been... Every week, there's just more and more and more content for us to get through. And and what's been unfolding with the Supreme Court nominee, uh, I think there's nine that sit on the uh, in the Supreme Court in the States, and there's a current nominee that all sorts of allegations are, are now being slung at him by uh, by a particular female from. Uh, some alleged uh, sexual uh, crimes back 25-odd years ago. So I saw that story on the news tonight as well. No doubt I will be asking John Dibvig what this all means for the administration and Donald Trump. Also, before 11 o'clock tonight, artist Penny Howard into the studio She's got an exhibition at White Space Contemporary Art Gallery coming up, and she's painted portraits of four fantastic New Zealand women. So we'll ask her who they are and talk to her about her paintings at around 10.30 tonight. Okay, the latest in news from News Hub coming up very shortly. Aroha Hathaway is standing by. Skeptical Thoughts, Susie Wiles in the building next here on Radio Live.